Hey everyone, welcome back to Make It Happen Mondays, where we talk about sales, business, entrepreneurship, personal growth, mental health, and everything in between with guests who I truly respect and I think make a positive impact on the world around us. And this was a fun conversation and I think a little timely here with Elizabeth Andrew. Um, we talked a lot about reinventing yourself. Um, Elizabeth has a very interesting career. Actually started on Wall Street and then took 17 years off to raise her family and then got back into tech at a slightly older age than most of us. And so we talk a lot about the generational divides and what's going on in the industry right now. And also kind of the, the mental health approach here to losing your job or getting back into the workforce or trying to reinvent yourself. And so, like I said, I think this is a very timely conversation because I have a feeling a lot of people out there right now are feeling stuck and might want to reinvent themselves to get to that next stage in their career. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Let's make it happen. What's happening, Make It Happen family? Big shout out to our partners today, Gong, Vidyard, and Chili Piper. Gong's data is more than valuable. It's cornerstone in any organization looking to collect the data that's going to tell them where they can improve and where they need to spend their time making changes. Vidyard makes it easy for people to use videos anywhere. No matter whether you're sending videos in email or on social media, posting them somewhere, or sending them in a DM, Vidyard has got you covered. Our friends at Chili Piper are so much fun to be around. They make it easy for people to get on your calendar. And every sales rep has got to have this function locked in. It's one of the most important things we can do as a seller. How can I get you on my calendar easily? Chili Piper can make that happen for you. Be sure that you're checking out all these great tools. And now let's pass it over to John to find out who's joining him today. See you soon, everybody. Elizabeth Andrew, how are you today? Welcome to the podcast. I am doing great, John. So great to be here. Yeah, it's funny. I, I saw that post that you did and, and we started going back and forth a little bit. And I was like, this actually could be a pretty cool conversation, I think, if we just got it on the podcast. So thanks for putting stuff out there. <laughs> yeah. And thank you so much for reaching out. I know, you know, I had an opportunity. I saw you in your Make It Happen shirt at the, I think it was the Sales Enablement Soiree in the fall. It was my first time there. Oh, yeah. And I said, I, I want to meet John. I've obviously <laughs> followed you for a long time. I appreciate that. And that I think that's, you know, you, you, what really struck me, and in, in I see you talk a lot about too, is is the journey that you've been on, right? Because you've taken a rather unconventional route to where you are right now. So with the context of people having to get through tough times and, and reinvent themselves in some ways, because I think we're in a position right now where a lot of people are going through tough times and a lot of people have to reinvent themselves in some ways. Give the audience a little bit of a background here of where you're coming from, and and then we'll kind of take it from there if that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. And I get people asking me about that a lot. So um, I have a very unusual background for technology sales. I, I'm from the Bay Area, from the San Francisco Bay Area. In fact, my father grew up at the end of Union Street, watched the Golden Gate Bridge being built. Um, no so way. many, That's cool. many generations um, yep. Californian. And um, after college, I was out here. I started out in the investment industry. I was working in the mutual fund space. I was at Franklin Templeton funds down the peninsula. Uh, I ran a call center. I moved into corporate training and development. And that's when I realized I could get into sales and make a lot more money. And um, at, the, at the time, you know, banks were just able to break into selling investment products. And so Wells Fargo Asset Management wanted to build their very first mutual company. And they hired me to come build an inside sales team. And um, so that was sort of my, my entry level. I, you know, I had, it was very much of a startup there were four of us. So we took it from zero to over a billion dollars in assets um, for Wells Fargo. Um, so I hired, trained, and managed 15 inside salespeople. And then the last region we went into was the Northeast because that's the investment capital of the world. And they asked me to go out there and open up that region. And so, um, so I did. I moved out in January to Boston, which is where I know you are, and uh, sight unseen. And, uh, you know, it was a long time ago. My family said, "Go for two years, have a great time, don't fall in love." And uh, I, I ended up, I ended up literally, um, you know, working as a mutual fund wholesaler back when carrying a bag was carrying a bag. I was calling on Merrill Lynch and Smith Barney and Morgan Stanley and all of the big investment houses, working out of my house in my car, and uh, 
Uh, I took it from zero to 70 million in sales. And it was a really, really interesting time. Um, as I'm sure you can imagine, the the meetings that I was in, particularly in the investment industry in the Northeast, I would be giving a presentation at one of the offices in downtown Boston with 500 stockbrokers, and I would be the only woman in the room. There were, you know, all white men that looked like my dad. And, um, you know, it was a really, really great experience. Um, unfortunately, I did not heed my parents' advice. I ended up um, getting married and, oh, and married in New York, Italian, moved down to Manhattan, and then ended up taking 17 years off as a stay-at-home mom. And nice. uh, during that Can time, I, I did a... Oh, yeah. You might let me pause there for a second. Um, I have a bunch of questions, but that one is is really interesting to me because my mom, my mom did the same thing. So my 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 sister's nine years older than me. And my mom was a really high level executive at Wang Laboratories back in the day, which, you know, for most people who don't know, Wang Laboratories is like Salesforce today. You know, I was like hot. Like if you worked there, you were. And when I was born, yeah. I was a I was a um happy surprise. I wasn't planned. Um, they were. They always wanted a second child, but they never planned it. And so nine years later, I I come out, and my mom wanted me to have a very similar experience that my sister had. Because when my sister was born, she was a stay at home mom, and so she stayed at home. She she quit her job and she stayed at home, but did she became a consultant, so she kind of worked half and half. So for you, with being so successful in what you did. And then, and then falling in love and moving to uh, New York and taking that time off. How, could you just share with me like that decision and and how yeah. you came to it? And was it with was it collaborative with you and your husband? Was it mm -hmm. a conscious choice? You said I don't care about anything. My priorities are totally different now with my family. Could you just walk me? I'm, I'm really curious of of because that is a major for for women specifically, right? Mm -hmm. Who are successful and driven. And then they have, you know, children and they have to make that choice. And I'm, I'm just, if you just unpack that a little bit for me, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I have a very similar, I have two brothers that are eight and 10 years older than I am. So okay. um, yep. I know exactly where you're coming from with, with your family. Um, and my mom cool. was home with, with us as well. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I think one of the things, and you, you and I have talked about this previously, is, you know, I'm a little long in the tooth. And, um, you know, in, in, in those days, it was a little bit more structured. You know, you went to college, you got a job. Most of my friends were having families, you know. I, I knew in my heart that that's, that I wanted kids. As soon as I had found my husband, it was a joint decision. I wanted to be home with the kids. I mean, there were no regrets. Um, I, it was interesting though because I did. I ended up raising my kids for seventeen years in um, Greenwich, Connecticut, and Riverside, Connecticut, and you know it's a suburb of Manhattan. So I did a ton of nonprofit work in those seventeen years. Many of the things I did was harder than anything I've done professionally, and it wasn't until I took all of that off of my resume that anybody would hire me. You know, there's all those data, there's data points behind you have two equal candidates for a job and one ha exact same resume and one has PTA coordinator on their resume, they're 60% less likely to get the job. Really? Wait, you know, PTA and it's is what, what's PTA stand for? The parent teacher, so. you know, the bake sale committee, oh, the school, no you know, the school oh, committee. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, wow. 60% less. Yeah. I do think it's changing. I think okay. we're seeing a lot more acceptance to people taking career breaks than we did okay. back then. But yeah. So, so for you, so you did, you, you still, you were still involved, like from a, I don't want to say work standpoint, but there was, there was, it wasn't a hundred percent kids all the time. It was kids. And then, you know, you, you did some nonprofit work and worked, you know, got really involved in other organizations, right? I did, but it was all volunteer. I mean, it was all, it was, okay. my priority was the kids, you know, but when they were in yeah. school, I'm just not one of those people, you know, I, I took one year off. I was like, I'm just going to play some tennis. And I realized I'm okay, but I'm never getting any better. And <laughs> it just bored me. Like I need to, you know, I need yeah. to be doing something productive. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, I'm the same. Like I, I, I tell we, we could take I could take a two week vacation, but anything over that I get bored out of my mind. It's like one week right. is not enough because I don't get to relax as much as I want to. Two weeks is perfect. Three weeks, I'm like after like day right. twenty, I'm like I have to do something. I have to get to work. I have to do something. So, um, right. So, so after seventeen years, um, yep. what made you decide uh, to to get back into the fold? And then what made you decide to take a different track because you didn't go back into finance? Yeah. Well, I mean, for for starters, you know, I've also been through a lot of down markets. Um, you know, multiple. Um, there was a huge market crash when I got out of college, when I was trying to get into the investment industry, there was another, uh, another one kind of, um, in the middle of my, you know, my wholesaling career, you know, I've been through this a few times. And, and of course I was out in the Northeast during that 07, 08 period of time. Right. And so, you know, it was, it was really a, a mess out there. It was a shit show. <laughs> Candidly. I mean, that was back with, you know, and, and it was really interesting because people don't really understand Greenwich, Connecticut. It's, big. It's a cross-section in New York. I mean, they're housing projects, but there's extreme wealth and there's 75,000 people or more. Um, but it was right in the heart of it all, you know, I mean, Madoffs, everything was going down right there. And uh, so it was, a, you know, it was a really interesting time. And, and my ex-husband was um, in, you know, Bear Stearns and, uh, you know, it was kind of a t- challenging time for us. Uh, that wasn't really what ended my marriage, but that's a whole nother uh, conversation, which is, yeah. is not for this, but, um, yeah. you know, so in, in 2011, we decided to move back out here. Um, I had been on the East coast for 20 years. The whole family came out here. My husband and I were just sort of thinking this would be a good way to boot, you know, kickstart the marriage. And, um, my oldest was starting high school. So it just was a good transition time. And so, wow. you know, I feel like my kids are getting older. It's time to get back to work. And nice. I did. And that's when I found, you know, I, even though I was from the Bay Area, uh, I'd been in the investment industry. I hadn't lived out here for 20 years. I had no connections anymore, mm-hmm. except for some childhood friends, you know. And so um, I was starting from the ground up. Uh, and I found that I was completely unemployable. I mean, I remember going, I finally got a um, one recruiter to meet me for coffee. And I know he just did it like out of, you know, <laughs> kindness and like asking him, about a job at a tech company and he laughed at me. And uh, I ended up finding my first job um, at Putnam Investments, working for the West Region Director of Sales. Uh, it was really kind of sales enablement for the, their wholesaling team, which is perfect with my experience. And I found the job on yeah. Craigslist. Wow. You can believe wow. that. Wow. Yeah. Nice. So I, <laughs> yeah. so I did that for- though, right? You do. You absolutely do. And, you know, I, um, and I think that's one of the things I actually, having gone through it a lot, I like down markets. I mean, I don't like what happens to everybody. And, but um, I think it really, everybody looks good when, you know, all boats are rising. It's when, you know, I think really the talent can come through when, when you've got to hustle a little bit more. Sure. When it's tough. Yeah. I mean, and we're there right now, right? I think there's there's a huge shakeup going on right now that, you know, I, I use this as an example, you know, Mark Benioff recently, um, you know, he posted, obviously he laid off, you know, a good portion, like 10,000, 15,000 people, whatever. And, you know, part of me is like, Mark, you know, you got to got a little greedy. The fact that you didn't see long-term on this one, I'm a little disappointed. That said, he posted something that, um, they are something leaked th- about how the uh, younger employees or the work at home people were just not as productive as people in the office. And there was a huge uproar of like, oh, how dare he and all this other stuff. And I was kind of like, you know, look, I'm not going to give him a pass for overhiring because that's his fault. But do you think that him mentioning the fact that that work from home or the younger teams not being as productive do you think that was his opinion because it wasn't like he tracks every single thing that you do right so i guarantee you there is a button that he pushes that says how much more productive is my you know at home team versus this and he knows the answer to that and so if you're the one bitching and moaning here about oh how dare he call us out i almost guarantee you were the one who was less productive and going back to the 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 tough times really shine people who who can grind through it there's a certain point of 
knowing oneself and being self-reflective and knowing, you know, do you have grit and 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 I can do this. But then there's I, I think there's this this big portion of people who are not um they don't really know themselves well enough to know if they have the grit. So how do you in tough times like this, how do you kind of take that step back and do a kind of an assessment here of of do I am I really you know, where I should be, like how hard, you know, that type of thing. Cause I think a lot of people are kind of getting through a crisis right now where they might've gotten fired thinking they were actually pretty good at their job because their boss never gave them really any direct feedback or any right. of that stuff. And now right. there's, they're, they're, they're looking at themselves saying, wait a minute, do I have really what it takes to be successful here? So how do you do that self inventory, especially going through it a couple of times for you? Yeah. So that is a great question. And, you know, I think one of the things that you just said that, is a big part of it is that my boss didn't give me feedback, right? And I think uh-huh. it's like I feel really badly because I have I have three adult kids. I've got a 26-year-old, a 24-year-old, and then a, a senior at college. And, uh-huh. you know, my 26-year-old is an SDR. And it's really fun uh-huh. to see, like, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, you know, and all of that. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, you know, he's the same age as some of my colleagues. But I feel really, really badly. He's actually, he's an SDR for frequent and he goes into the office three days a week and that's making Mm -hmm. a big difference for him. Yes. Like I, you know, I've led some remote teams over the last couple of years. And if you're in your first job out of school, I mean, I had one employee, great kid, worked, I brought him from another place, but you know, I kind of found out that he was spending every Friday afternoon surfing, like you know, you know, and it's not their fault, you know, but they haven't been given the the tool belt or the tools to actually do it. And I think that was one of the things. I mean, I did I did start my career out of college at a down market, and then um, had another one. And when I was moving out into the investment world, out into to Boston, I was trained by the number two investment wholesaler in, in the country. It was probably making five million a year and you know it was in commission you know and i learned a playbook in those days we called it a business plan and i had to create and deliver a very comprehensive business plan every year to our national sales manager on exactly what i was going to do and i had it was blue ocean i had all new england states right but i started in the state of massachusetts outside of boston working in three little towns to get kicked around a little bit and understand the, the area. Then I folded in every you know other region. I had it all mapped out. I worked, it was in-person sales. I had four meetings a day, four days a week, one day for office stay to follow up. I was always scheduled two weeks. You know, it's those, it's, and, and that's when, when things unravel like this. You know, you need to have a plan. You've got to focus on that day-to-day activity and that's the difference between you know success and it's having that plan doing your research and a lot of people it's not that they're not smart enough they just haven't been trained to do it exactly and that's that's i have the same fear is look i'm all for the stay at home like i i couldn't be happier when when i worked for like the my training company basho and they went belly up right this was 2007 when everything hit there got fired immediately, but then basically took over the company and I was working from home. And for me, working from home was was great because I had been on the road for so long and and I was so much more efficient at home because I just knew what I needed to get done. But it was because I spent years in the office. I, you know, I would, and, and there's just something about being around other people and learning through osmosis or hearing something, you know, even like cold calling, right? Like being in the bullpen and picking up on what you said versus what I said. And, and I fear right now that, that they're not, that that's, first of all, that's obviously not happening in, in so many ways. And the lack of context now is frightening me. Another example here is I was, I mean, like you, when I was first in business, I went to every networking event I could go to, every networking group, BNI. I would make cold calls all day long. I would meet with people and I would do my thing, right? And so I networked my way to success in a lot of ways, like brute force effort as far as, you know, results were concerned, but networking and shaking hands, kissing babies. So when LinkedIn came out, it was very natural for me. It was like, oh, cool. Like, 
okay, now I fundamentally understand networking. So this is just putting networking on steroids, right? Whereas if you don't have a sense of how to engage with people and how to really add value in a networking relationship and you get LinkedIn, now you're just using it as a spam engine to, right? And the same thing like ChatGPT right now, for instance, I saw this 15-year-old kid use ChatGPT to automate responses from a customer service standpoint for what he was doing. And I'm like, this kid doesn't even know what customer success is. So the computer can do it and probably give a better answer but how can you coach the computer to do it if you have no context of what it really means? Right. So how do we solve this this challenge that we're in? Because I don't think it's going to get any easier. No, I agree. And and by the way, I I'm the same way. Like I I've, I've been a networker. I'm not afraid. You know, to walk into a Merrill Lynch office is a California girl. You know, like it, you know, you have to be able to do that. And when I so I spent a year. I'll, answer your question in a minute, but when I spent a year at Putnam Investments, just felt like there's no fun to be had in financial services anymore and so much going on in the Bay Area and tech. Like, as long as I'm reinventing myself, why not try tech? I mean, I, you know, I don't want to do that and I'd have to sit for my licenses and everything again and it's all uh -huh. on the East Coast. And, uh, and so I did and I, I really, you know, I started and, and by the way, to your point, like I actually did work out of my house in my car because I was in okay. field sales. So I had yeah, that yeah. discipline anyway. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I just started networking. I started becoming a student of my profession. I started following, even though I knew nothing about technology. I mean, I was, I had a day planner, <laughs> you know, when everybody had their calendar on their phone, you know. And I, um, I remember seeing, reading TechCrunch, and they were having a meetup in the Presidio. And, you know, it was 20 bucks. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to go. And I remember walking in there and, you know, I didn't know a soul and walking around. And I met this CEO who had just moved um, to the U.S. from India um, in line for a food truck. And we got talking and, you know, I we kept in touch. And, it, you know, he, I never worked for him or anything else. But when I was at HelloSign a few years later, he ended up buying our API from me. And, you know, it's like you you network and you build... Uh, you know that, and and it is missing. I mean, it's. Uh, I think that's scary, and I, you know, I actually just my most recent role was with an AI company, and you know, it's it's all about the algorithms, right? Like, it, you know, the the algorithm is unbiased. I had gone to a talk in San Francisco, is is AI biased or sexist? You know, and it's like the algorithms aren't; it's the data sets, and so if you've got somebody who's doesn't know what customer success is, training AI, I don't know how that works. I don't either. I mean, you could ch tell ChatGPT, hey, answer as if you were a customer service person, but you know, th that's what my, I think there's, and what I saw two to three, like about a month ago now with ChatGPT, I, I was, I, I've always kind of joked around, I think we're living in the matrix and Skynet's here and all that other stuff. But a, a year, a, a month ago, when I saw the capabilities of ChatGPT, my spidey senses went up more than they usually do. Because I'm watching now, anybody can code, anybody can just tell the machine to do something and it writes software for it. Anybody can write really well scripted emails or, or blog posts or whatever it is. And I'm now wondering, like, and, and let's macro this out. Are we really on a track towards, you know, universal basic income type stuff because of the amount of jobs that'll be displaced because of the lack of true understanding? And, you know, one argument is, well, it's going to free humans up to do the creative stuff. Okay, that that's one argument. But how much creative stuff is there for that many people out there for the amount? So... So how do we bridge this gap? Because I, I was freaking out back in 2017 when I saw this email that was written by artificial intelligence better than I could ever write. And I sat down with Gary Vaynerchuk and, and I asked him, I'm like, Gary, like we're screwed. Like, where does that leave us? And his response was, don't try to fight the technology. You're not going to beat it. Leverage it. Be the last mile. So let the technology do all the work. And then right before that email or right before that call or right before that whatever, humanize it, Right. So, but where does that leave a vast majority of, of people who are going through the motions? I mean, are we yeah. really looking at like a mass unemployment here moving forward from your perspective based on the experience you've seen and where we're going? 
I mean, you know, I, up until this came out, I didn't think so. I mean, I really feel like, we'll I mean, back. having spent a year in AI, like it's, it, it's, it augments human yeah. work. It doesn't replace yeah. human work. Right. But I, this is, I'm with you on this one. I don't know. I wish I had the answer. I, and that's why I'm begging people to at least pay attention to it, at least start using it, right? To Because if you at least know it, then you can talk to it and and you can guide it, if you will. But if you have no context, this is why I do believe that it's going to make the good people great and the great people irreplaceable. But mm-hmm. the average person is going to be in a lot of trouble right now. And yeah. so for, from your standpoint as a leader, you know, sales leader and and what you're seeing right now from a coaching standpoint, what are you outside of tactics and in some you know sales techniques and stuff? What are what are you oh. leaning in on um, to help sales reps who care, or you know to, to, you know right. younger professionals who care who give a shit? Where do you think they should be? What are the what should they be learning? What should they be focusing on right now from your perspective? Because I think a lot of the stuff that we're we, we've learned traditionally in school is going to be irrelevant here. So right. are you coaching on empathy? On on give me some examples of what you think is important for a sales rep to from a developmental standpoint right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I I'm a big believer in empathy, and I like my favorite thing to do is to build teams and coach. You know, I like startups and hyper growth companies because I'm a mom I'm good at wearing a lot of hats and you know I don't I don't think and I've you know I've worked for companies where it's been a toxic culture isn't empathetic you know and I it doesn't work at the end of the day it doesn't work and you know I I really I doubled down on that and I you know I think we are in a very very interesting place I you know with and again like having my son and seeing these kids it's you know, there's a lot. There will continue to be a lot of opportunities. I believe in tech. I absolutely do. It's the people who aren't in tech, you know, that that have jobs that are being replaced. And you know, and uh, I, I think I shared with you. I'm writing a book. I have a publisher. I haven't. I've got a lot of to do. It's called Starting All Over Again. You yeah, know, and I it's. Uh, yeah. I think it might be kind of relevant. You know, I mean, I. I uh, Very relevant. Yeah. A little bit of my story. And, you know, I think coming out of survival mode, you know, I've I've done a lot of, I finally am completely out of survival mode, but I spent about a decade in that. And it's hard to really do what you want. And, um, you know, when you're trying to support a family and, and we're seeing more and more of that, I mean, as we see with homelessness and everything else. How, how do you, how do you, get out of survival mode is it just pure brute force for you like you know because i because i do think that there are some people right now like legitimately i don't know where my i don't know where my next meal is going to come from i just you know i lost my job i don't have health care right now and so it is pure i need a job and i you know and i try to coach well you know make sure you align your values with the next business and do all this stuff but at the end of the day if you got to pay your bills you got to get a job so any advice for people who are inherently going to be in survival mode for a period of time. Um, is it focus on survival f- uh, at all costs or is there a way mentally that you can kind of section out, okay, survival and? Yeah. I believe it's 150% mental. I think there's, okay. you know, it's, it's, I mean, and for me, like, and, and I can share stories, like it took me, you know, I kind of gave you the short, rundown but 2011 we moved back and you know i was trying to do everything i could you know and anything i could i was a single mom with three kids i knew i was gonna i was supporting them 100 percent. you know i was looking down three college tuitions and you know i i could have been homeless if we didn't have friends and family i mean in in full transparency you know that 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 helped a little bit and you know i um I just got into this stage, and I'm very mathy and sciencey, you know. I but I got into this stage of energy and mindset, and I would get up, and I remember um, I had my middle son would drive me to Bart when I was working at a tech company, and I would be commuting into the city, and I'd wake up, I'd be like, Andrew, today's the first day of the rest of your life, and he'd be rolling his eyes like, ah, 
stop it already, you know, but it was like, you know, make it happen. And, you know, it's like you start to tell yourself this every day. And there's, there's, I, I went to a great talk um, at a conference by, um, I think it's uh, Dr. Lori Santos, who's the Yale professor who uh, has started the most subscribed college course on the science of happiness. And, you know, there's, she did all the data behind it. A lot of it's common sense, right? But the data behind getting up and, and writing down, taking five minutes and writing down three things you're grateful for. And it show, data shows that, that it's better. And I, I, I used that mentality to, even when I didn't believe it, you yeah. know, as I, when things were really dire to get, get myself out and, um, and it works. I think that's that's under. Um, I think it's underappreciated. But I think I've never really been a fake it till you make it type guy. You know, what, as far as uh, like your profession or something like that. Like if you don't know the right. answer, don't know the answer. Like be honest with it. You'll figure it out. But I think when it comes to mental stuff, there's to a certain degree you got to hack your brain in a lot of ways. Like stop the negative talk. Like oh I suck. You know, more y'all you know, that's terrible, right? And literally wake up in the morning and say today's going to be the day. I'm going to make this happen today. I, you know, and I just recently for me, like I, I've started going, I'm, I've never really been into meditation. I've never really been into, but I'm, I'm going through shit just like everybody else. And so these daily affirmations of 10 minutes of me sitting in the morning, you know, staring out a window and listening to positive affirmation stuff of like, Hey, you know, you're worth it. You can do this and all that other stuff. It, it really does rewire your brain. And, and you can rewire it. And it's weird. Like I've heard a lot of people like Neil deGrasse and talk about how your brain is literally like a supercomputer. You can wire it how you want to. And the negative talk definitely wires you down in the negative direction. But if the positive talk, and you don't want to be like, what's the line for you, I guess, against optimism and disillusion? Like for instance, like I, yeah. like, oh, I want to play in the NBA. I'm going to be, I'm a six foot white dude who right. can barely touch the rim. Like there's not a shot, no matter how much I practice in my life, I'm never going to go to the NBA. Right. So yeah. what's the, what, yeah. what is the barrier for you on, on determining like, am I delusional here or am I just really being positive and trying to break through? No, I, I, I don't subscribe into delusion. I, um, I've seen it. I've experienced it you know, with people around me. And I, you know, I, I wouldn't even say I'm optimist. I'd say I'm a realist, but mm -hmm. I, you know, it's like today's the day, make it happen. And, and I love that you were saying that, you know, those positive affirmations, because yep. it's literally on your shirt every time I see you, yep. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, uh, but it, you know, it, it's, it's not today's the day today. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to become an NBA player. It's today's yeah. the day, you know, today, you know, it's baby steps. It's setting those goals. Yeah. And, you know, um, again, it's that business plan though, right? Like when you're unemployed, like focus on setting up 15 interviews a week, you know, what, even if it's just with a recruiter or a network, somebody that's in your network, it doesn't have to be a job interview, you know, set up, you know, put a target for yourself one a day. Get three meetings a day, you know, and just do that every day and make sure that you're getting, continuing the, the pipeline, right? Filling your pipeline and, uh, uh, you know, and things start to click and start to connect. And yeah. so I, but I, I'm with you, like I've tried meditating and I think about what I'm going to have for lunch. I, it's yeah, never been my, thing. I'm like, my yeah. brain goes in 15 different directions. I'm like, okay, yep. nope, stay focused. I think I'm going to try to eventually crack through where I will have the Zen mind, right? I'm, I'm kind of trying to force that myself. But half the time I'm doing this 10 minute meditation, I'm thinking about, okay, uh, I got to send this email to so-and-so. I got a meeting this afternoon. I'm like, no, John, <laughs> yeah. shut up, shut up. Nope. You're yeah. just listen to the sound, listen to the sound. <laughs> and John and John starts having a conversation with himself. And it's yep. like, um, my, my, my daughter was an open water swimmer. Um, and she right. had a swim coach who happened to, you know, swim at Cal Berkeley, which is like all Olympians. And um, she used to say, you know, to these young girls, which I appreciated, your body believes everything you tell it. Yeah. I could, I so could see that. So she's like, you know, for these young girls, I'm fat, right? You know, it's like yeah. whatever, you know, you, you believe if you do that negative talk, it's, it can yeah. be a really slippery slope. 
What's up, everybody? I know you're enjoying this conversation. John does a great job with genuine curiosity on these episodes, and our guests consistently bring the heat. We want to take a moment here and let you know that you've got an opportunity, an opportunity to become better than you were yesterday. And you can do so by gaining access to all of JB Sales content. All of their training tips, techniques, tactics, and takeaways can be yours for $1 a day. $365 for the year gets you annual access to everything, including our private Slack channel for members only, which you get access to all of us directly 100% of the time, 24 hours a day. And then at the same time, you're going to get access to our bi-weekly Ask Me Anything sessions where you can bring real deals to the table and get the help that you need where you need it. This is very, very important. Sales reps that invest in themselves are often found at the tops of their leaderboards. Join us today and get the help you need to become the seller that you deserve to be. That URL, one more time, is joinjbsales.com. Let's get back to the show with JB and our guest for this week going back to how things have evolved for us like you said you know you were one woman woman within 50 and, and at least you've probably hopefully seen a few more in that that crew it's the same thing with with mental health right it's like it never you never talked about mental health uh back in the 80s and 90s like that wasn't a thing like no. just buck up and figure it the fuck out you know go right. do some coke and figure it out or go drink you know what i mean like whatever <laughs> yeah, right. right like you're, you're being a whip right now yep. thankfully that uh, you know that that empathy is there. At least it's it's talked out loud about at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot more avenues, but there is the the the, the kind of the final thing I want to kind of finish with you here is is again going back to the line of of tolerance for and and empathy and and all the mental health and and that type of thing versus results. And I they're not mutually exclusive, and I know they're not. I think they actually complement each other quite well. But I do feel like going back to the Benioff example, that there are people who are over indexing on the, oh, work-life balance and, oh, you know, I don't, you know, how dare you ask me to work past five o'clock at this point? And I'm looking at it like, how in the world could you possibly be successful if you have a nine to five mentality and and get upset for your, you know, company asking you to work a few extra hours or saying, hey, you got to hit these results. So where's that line, I think, for you? Are you seeing that line switch a little bit too far to the to the non results oriented aspect of what we do? A hundred percent. And I think, unfortunately, you know, like. I always have said, like, I don't want to learn any more lessons. I'm enough of a character. <laughs> you know, those character right. building <laughs> lessons. But, but you I know, unfortunately, plenty, right? this, the, you know, I mean, this is going to sound like a parent pontificating, right? But um, what's going to yeah. sway it the other way is the down market. Yeah. You know, it, it, you know, as a leader, you know, you might have empathy for everybody, but you're going to have, if you have to cut 20%, you're going to cut the bottom 20%. You're going to cut the people who aren't performing. And, you know, and and people can throw a fit at what Mark Benioff said. You're right. It's it's data-driven. It's not uh, his opinion, I'm sure, but, you know, it it's, um, it's not going to help you get a job, right? So, you know, there, there's that, like you said, it's the toughen up buttercup kind of thing like you know when you're out of a job you go clean houses if you got to go clean houses you do what you have to do yep. you know and you're not going to be handed yeah, pride goes out the window <laughs> an eighty thousand dollar entry level sales job you know yeah yeah that's and and that's what i hope you know if anybody is look there, there's some things that you, people are getting laid off for um just because and that you know through no fault of their own and and I do believe those people who know that they're good at what they do, they're like, okay, that sucks. You know, let me go figure this out, right? What's next? Um, but then there's a lot of worries me out there. And I think those worries me's need to take that reflective, like look in the mirror and say, okay, yeah, maybe that did suck, but what did I do to be put myself in a position to be in that bucket? And how can I now change that? And, you know, again, going back to just being reflective here, um, are there certain questions that you ask yourself, you personally? I mean, outside of the positive affirmations, 
were there certain questions throughout your journey here that you you had to have a real real conversation with your about like am i this or do i really believe you know that type of thing were there hard questions that you had to ask yourself that you had to give yourself answers to that you didn't really want to Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I just, I've always tried, I was very fortunate. I had a, uh, my dad, my parents were married over 60 years. My dad was my role model. I used to go into the city yeah. with him when I was in middle school, my summer vacations to his office, um, nice. you know, and, um, you know, very, very solid guy and everybody loved him. He was kind of well known in the Bay Area, Cal but, uh, alum and, um, uh, you know, I, I just try to go at everything with integrity. And, you know, when I come unglued, it's usually when I see things that are uh, disingenuous or not, you know, not well yep. run. Um, but I just really try, I try to just focus on what I can control, right? Like it's like yep. sales. There's two things, focus on the quality of your presentation and the number of people you talk to. You know, it's like focusing on what you, you can control, right? And it's like, I can't yep. control... Lord, I've tried to control CEOs. It doesn't work as a VP of sales. You know, it's like, and, you know, I, uh -huh. I do think we are in a position, you know, and I think people, you know, need to take ownership. And I, you know, it, and that's what's going to be required to stand out, especially, you know, I come from enterprise sales. I've been in all of it now, but, um, you know, you have to do your homework and you have to really take ownership for your book of business. And I think when, when it's a down market, that, that shows um but and i think people need to do that for their lives too because at the end of the day nobody's going to help you but yourself i mean you you know you got to pull yourself out of it but at the same time i also think you know the world is changing and people are exhausted people are tired i mean everybody is and there's a little more accountability i think for some of these companies you know and it's like i i i've made the mistake of taking a VP of sales role at a very early stage startup and didn't dig into the fact that I was the fourth sales leader. It wasn't working. You know, it's like, you know, things like that. And like, you know, I, I um, you know, there's all these, these things that we do, we back channel and we're hiring and things like that. But like right. now there's a little, going to be a little more accountability, I think on companies as well to, to be empathetic. Yeah. I don't think, aren't I don't do think it. it's all it. I was going to say the tolerance yep. for it, especially in this generation, is going to be zero. You know, uh -huh. the tolerance for not treating people with respect, but, not being diverse, <laughs> not being inclusive. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's still plenty of people out there that don't care about that stuff and will get those jobs and those companies. But I think the market in general is going to reject that too. So not only the reps going to these companies and rejecting the company because of the lack of that, but also the market. I mean, companies are getting punished right now if from a social standpoint. Now, again, we could talk about the line of wokeism and how that's gone a little bit too far as well. And everybody doesn't deserve to get canceled just because they said something stupid 20 years ago. Like we, that's a whole different conversation. But I think it is it is leveling out. Um, but you're, I think you're right. I think this this correction, if you will, is maybe going to swing the pendulum back a little bit more towards the center here for those kind of fully like, oh, I don't have to work at all and you should just pay me for being who I am because I went to college, uh -huh. right? So, I actually think, John, like in my opinion, and I yeah. I had done a TEDx, you know, on, on it was called Let Them Back In, letting people yeah. who have taken a career back, break back in. And one of the yeah. analogies I used in that was um, that I've had people reach out to me about is the shoe test. If you're in a conference room, look under the table. And if everybody's wearing the same shoes, it's a problem. Whether it's heels or sneakers or wingtips, it's a problem, yeah, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, you're seeing, like, I think the answer to how companies handle this is going to be having diverse teams. And, you know, I, I, I mentioned to you, like, I, I joke, I went from being the only woman in technology to the oldest person, I mean, the only woman in investments to the oldest person in technology, right? Um, but I think, you know, if you could set up, I've, I've run into issues where you've got some of my, the opposite of Wall Street, some of my closest friends in the Bay Area and everywhere from India. But I've been on teams that like, I'm the only person on the leadership team that's not first generation Indian. That's not diversity, right? And it's not diversity of culture and thought and how you treat your people and you know, so I think that it, it really helps to have a breadth of 
generations. Yeah. You know, and Actually, and everything. Last question on that. Why do you think I, I think I asked this recently too? I'm curious from your perspective. Why do you think we as a Western culture don't respect um elders or experience as much as others? Like there's this whole like uh test, right? Where if you if you of ask course. different countries, you have um a child, a wife, and a grandmother. And you're the husband and you're in the boat. And you can only save one of them. Here in the right. US, we will save the kid 95% of the time because that kid right. hasn't had a chance and they need chance to live. Other right. cultures, it's we save the wife because I can have another child. Other, other mostly Eastern cultures are, we would save the grandparents. Right. Why do you think we don't value experience? Because I see, I see so much experience in this industry especially tech uh -huh. people who have been there done that that we could learn from but yet you get uh -huh. all these kids be like i got this you know let me let me make this yep. mistake myself so why don't we why don't you think culturally we we appreciate experience and um yeah why do you think that yeah i mean i think first of all i think tech happens to be the extreme you know when sure. the when it was 0708 um and the markets fell down and i was still living in the east coast they started returnship programs with a lot of, I think it was Goldman Sachs or something started that. And then moving out here, they don't have anything like that in tech. I think there's some of them are starting to, but you know, where they help support people who've had great careers get back in that have things to value. I think, you know, I think, um, I, I think this is also, I don't know the answer to that, but I think this is also one of those things that could potentially shift. We are the first um, in this country, really world since World War II, right? Um, it was before World War II, people used to live more multi-generationally, you know, and, and we don't. I mean, we don't. We have our own family with our spouse or kids or whatnot. But, um, you know, I think with this market and a lot of people out, like there are a lot of kids that are living at home a lot longer than they used to. And, you know, yeah. I... I've got a mother who lives a couple miles from me, you know, and I'm not going to live with her, but, you know, yeah, yeah, it makes sense for some people now. And I think we'll continue yeah. to as things get harder. And I think there's, I think there is a forcing function to you to, to a certain degree. It's like, you know, you can, you make enough mistakes and then maybe just maybe you might want to ask somebody who's been there, done there before and so that you don't make that many more mistakes. So I think you're, you're right. There, there is a certain point, unfortunately, that I think all of us need to be woken up. Um, and, and a lot of times that has to be a pretty harsh wake up, right? I, I kind of joke that I wish almost every child, kid, they should get punched in the face. I mean, literally punched in the face once in their life just to see how you're going to react. Because until you you physically get hit like that, you don't know how you're going to react. And I and I joke around in the sense that I've been punched literally in the face five times in my life through fights. And the first time, I, I vividly remember this, my initial reaction, and I was a grown-ass man, my initial reaction was to cry when I got punched in the face. I was like, ugh. But then like three seconds after that feeling, I just immediately like rage hit me and I'm like, wait a minute. And I went and, you know, dumb, you know, stupid, just went charging back. But my point is, is like that fight or flight, these times that we're in right now, it's going to, you're going to figure out what type of person you are. You are going to fold under the pressure or you're going to rise to the occasion. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of us need to be forced to determine that versus evolve into it. And so hopefully just people who have gotten punched in the gut right now are taking that inventory. A hundred percent. And I'll give you a quick example of that. I, I remember, um, you know, I was involved in my kids' school. My kids were getting a little older. They were kind of all middle school age. And um, I was, I, I started doing, this was before I moved east. I, I started doing, I was volunteering. And um, so I happened to be in the elementary school, the lower elementary school. And I knew some of the teachers because my kids had all gone through the school. They were very close friends of mine. I was chatting with one of them. We were standing outside and it was pickup for these young kids. And some of the mothers are pregnant. And I looked at my friend and I said, God, there's just a, I'd come from a parent meeting with a, you know, the eighth graders. And uh, so there's a different look. There's just a different look. And the difference is nothing bad has happened to them yet. 
You know, they haven't right. lost their job. They don't have a parent that's sick. It's all still about the shoes yep. and the car. And we were all there too. Yep. I'm not judging, but uh -huh. like, and unfortunately nope. Nope. it will. Life can, nobody hits 50 unscathed. No, no. You and, know, and I'd and, actually be worried for you if you did, because right. then if you get hit at, in your 50s and 60s and you've never been hit before, talk about a life crisis right there. Right. So, right. Absolutely. Well, we can, yeah. we just keep trying to, you know, sharing the experience as much as we can here, Elizabeth, see if we can get a few people to come on board with, with reflecting on themselves and, <laughs> and moving forward as opposed to letting them crush them. So I, I really appreciate you coming on and having this conversation. Um, yeah. Where, where can people find out more about what you're doing? You say you got a book, you got a TED talk. So um, help people understand where they can learn more about you. Yeah, I need to do more blogging. I'm I'm in the process of writing the book. Um, I've got the publisher. I, I I need to kind of get out of startups to get that like done. Um, I hope to have that yeah. done, you know, sooner rather than later. Um, of course, LinkedIn Elizabeth Andrew is probably where I communicate the most. Um, and yeah, and it. my TEDx. Yeah, so and everybody. Yeah, the TEDx. I was going to say, take, yeah. the, take a look at the TEDx. That's a great. That's a great one. So, I'm um, one of these days. I'm going to try to get to do one of those TEDx's. But uh, again, you need add it to. to. The list. You yeah. need to. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Elizabeth. I really enjoyed the conversation, and uh, good luck with the book too. John, thank you so such a pleasure. Really, really great chatting with you. Uh, um, thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. So I'll see you online. <laughs> um, Look, everybody, I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did here and, you know, got you to reflect a little bit on yourself and, and are you really putting everything you need into what you need to do to be successful here and might might have to reinvent yourselves. But regardless, no matter how bad you think your day went, I always say, go out there and make somebody smile today because no matter how bad you think your day is going or how thank you went, if you make somebody smile today, you know you had a good day and the world needs a lot more of that right now. So thank you all very much and I'll see you on the other side. Thank you so much for your time today and listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. With your support and our incredible guests, we're one of the top sales podcasts in the industry with over a million downloads, and I can't thank you enough. To keep the momentum going, if you could go to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a five-star review, I would greatly appreciate it. In return, I will answer any question that you have on Instagram. Hit me up there at John M as in Michael Barrows with a video question or a DM and I will get right back to you, I promise. And last but not least, if you're looking for training, I'm adjusting my training approach this year and I'm actually gonna be delivering training to the masses. I'll be delivering live training the first and second week of every single month with our two marquee courses, filling the funnel and driving a close to anybody who wants to join. And it includes membership in our on-demand platform with weekly AMAs. So you can go to jbarrows.com open to check out the details. Thanks again and have a great day.